Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We are walking through the church calendar this year, and um, it's we're in a section uh, called Epiphany. Some people call this um, normal time, but we're in a section called Epiphany, so if you've got your sermon notes, you can read a brief description of what Epiphany is all about in the church calendar. Um, but the thing that I like about going through this is that every Sunday there's a there's four passages that you can choose from to preach, and today we're preaching from the book of Isaiah, what Katie just read, Isaiah 40, 21 through 31. The last third of Isaiah is pretty tricky, um, and part of the reason it's tricky is because it's a prophetic vision. It's, Isaiah is talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And just a little teaching about when you're reading the Bible, when you're reading prophecies in the Bible, these parts uh, of Scripture that talk about things that are yet to happen. Um, the reason why it gets tricky, especially in Isaiah, and Don Carson, if you guys are familiar with him, he does a really good explanation of this. But a prophet looks into the future, and he can see things that are happening in the future, but it's not clear exactly when those things are happening, and there's no depth perception. So a prophet, because God speaks through him, can look way into the future and say what's going to happen, but he doesn't have any depth perception. Here's what I mean by that. Carson talks about... Um, he would be, when he lived in Canada, he would drive to the Rocky Mountains and he would see this beautiful vista in the, in, you know, hundreds of miles away, he would see the Rocky Mountains. And there were layers and layers and layers of mountain peaks, sometimes 50, sometimes 100 miles apart, but it all looked flat when he was looking at it. It was only when he got to the actual mountain, or in a prophetic event, the actual event itself, that you were able to see depth perception. Oh, that's, that mountain's 100 miles away from this one. It all looked the same here. Or that prophetic vision is further down the road. It's not here. So in the end of Isaiah, there are... it's. It's a little bit confusing because there's multiple timelines that are smashed together. So sometimes Isaiah is talking about God's people being freed from their exile in Babylon and going back to their land. So they're no longer kind of slave citizens of Babylon, but they're now free to go back to their land. And sometimes Isaiah is actually talking about when Jesus returns and recreates the new heaven and the new earth. It all looks flat from Isaiah's perspective. He can't tell exactly when things are happening. So that makes it a little bit confusing, but also very, very fascinating. The point for us today is this is all in the future for Isaiah, and it's already happened, obviously, for us. But the Babylonians are going to be, or the Israelites are going to be sent into Babylon, this exile, and they're going to be 
It's a way of discipline. God's going to send them into another land that isn't their own, that's ruled by other people, and they're going to be like these slave citizens of this other land that's not theirs. And it's a way for God to discipline them because they weren't relying on God. They were relying on themselves. And they were like worshiping idols. They were relying on man-made things instead of God to save them, to rescue them, to strengthen them. So in today's section, in Isaiah 40, it begins with comfort, comfort, and God is saying, I alone can rescue you. I am able and I am willing to rescue you. So this section, he's going to be talking about bringing the people back because he's powerful enough to do it and saving them from this Babylonian captivity to bring them back to their their home. He starts in verse 21 through 22, making the point that nobody is powerful to rescue them like him. And that's this whole section, 21 through 31. And he is the only person capable only ruler, the only leader, the only being powerful enough to accomplish this. So, I'm just going to walk through this, and then we're going to talk about spiritual strength, what that looks like, and how we acquire that in our lives. But this will give you a little context. Isaiah 40, 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? He's going to compare himself to idols, which is what he was talking about in the section before this. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God's talking about his majestic, grand oversight of all creation. My, uh, this is, I don't know if anyone's going to remember this, but I used to love this football game. Uh, It had these little plastic football players, and then it was like a metal football field, and you plugged it in, and you hit the switch, and what happened? (laughs) That's exactly how it sounds, too. So (laughs) it's good to have you back, Jay. Um, so it, it, yeah, the, all the players like, and they start moving and they're like, one of them has a football and it's like doing this and it's going towards the, the end zone. It's like the best game. It's such a fun game. It's so old school. Um, but when I was playing that game, I would say like, all right, the Dallas Cowboys are playing the Cleveland Browns. And when the Dallas Cowboys started to get close to the end zone, I would stop the game, move them back, and then I'd wait till the Browns got the ball and took over, and the Browns won like 100 to zero every single time. They just dominated every time. And it was because I'm looking over this little creation, this game, and I am overseeing this game. I'm making sure that the things that are best for the Browns are going to happen. And that's, what, that's how God compares his oversight, his sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise oversight of creation. That's what we see in this. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like 
grasshoppers or little plastic football players, and God is the great floor general who's moving things around. In fact, if you are in his kingdom, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, that's a promise that God will manipulate all the happenings of this life to turn them out for your good. That's Romans 8, 28. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. So he's saying even the most powerful ruler, human ruler in history, is like a little shoot that got planted just beneath the dirt, the surface of the dirt in the desert. And a scorching hot desert wind blows over that little shoot whose tiny little roots have barely gotten into the dirt, the topsoil, and it's fried and it withers. And then another really heavy wind comes along and blows it and it's gone into oblivion. It's blown into oblivion and that's what he's comparing human rulers, human authorities too. Like they don't stand to the sovereignty of God, the power of God. God's showing us in this how big he is. Verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number. He's talking about stars. When it says host, he's, he's meaning stars, which are visible representations of pagan gods. So now he's talking about not just human beings, not just human rulers, but human gods that they made up because that's what stars represented. He who brings out their host or stars by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The latest estimate is that there's 100 billion-ish stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And the latest estimate, the latest, latest pictures tell us that there could be up to 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. 100 billion stars in ours, possibly 2 trillion galaxies in the universe. And verse 26 says that God calls them into place by name. Psalm 147, verse 4 says, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of stars. And God calls them by name and tells them where to go. That's the authority that he has over creation. I can't get all my dogs to go outside. Like, there's three of them. And two of them are somewhat obedient, but Stanley thinks it's a game. Like, Stanley, it's time to go outside. Go, right now. It's time to go potty. And he's like, he goes like that, and then he wags his tail, and then he, he thinks I'm going to chase him, and I do. I, don't, I do every time. He wants to play. 
I chase them. I finally have to grab them and throw them outside to use the bathroom. But that's every single time. God tells the stars where to go. He tells them to stay there. When Pilate told Jesus, don't you know that I have a power to either have you killed or to save your life? I wonder if Jesus might have been thinking in that moment, one trillion miles from where we're standing right now is a star. And it's there because I told it to be there. And you think you have power over me. Michael Allen says, ours is a God who puts stars in places we'll never see. This is an exercise in helping us see the futility of trusting in any person or any other God other than our one true God. We all have limited pseudo power. He has infinite power. Verses 29 through, oh, verses 27 through 28. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. They're saying, God doesn't see me. He's forgotten about me. He doesn't understand my rights. And Isaiah is saying, God spans beyond history. He knows exactly what your role in this moment is, Israel. He knows exactly where he's taking you. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't tired of his, grown weary of his plan. He knows you. He sees you. He's all-powerful. He knows exactly what time it is in this story of salvation, and he will work and move when it's time. Verses 29 through 31, and here's the, the crux of this message. He gives power to the faint. You could sit with that for a couple years and still not completely understand the depth of a God who looks at mortal creation human beings and says i'm gonna lend my power to them that's wild he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's an incredibly fascinating passage because what it's saying is ours is a God who gives strength to those who wait on him. Every type of human strength diminishes over time. Every form of human strength diminishes over time. And the same way that our, say, physical strength diminishes, our spiritual strength diminishes. I don't play basketball publicly anymore. 
I play basketball privately. When it's nice out, there's a place that I go that's away from where anyone here will see me playing basketball. And I, I shoot hoops, and I, it's just a lot of fun, and it's kind of a way, it, it's just such a part of who I am that it's, it's a way for me to actually enjoy time with God and talk with Him through things. And um, it's, just a, it's a, just a private practice that I, that I do. But I don't play publicly. I don't play in open gyms anymore. And the reason is because the last time I played in an open gym, my mind didn't understand why my body couldn't do what it was able to do 20 years ago. I was really confused. I would jump as high as I could, and I was used to getting elevating a little bit higher 20 years before then. <clears throat> my mind was confused. Like, it feels like I actually didn't even jump right there. Like, maybe an inch off the ground. I just was not elevating. Or when I would run, I would, there'd be a fast break, and I would be running as hard as I could, and it felt like people were jogging by me. And I was like, what is going on? Why? My body used to be able to do crazy things, and I, it won't do any of that right now. It's, I'm shooting air balls, I'm getting out-rebounded, and I just decided my pride can't handle this. I'm not, I'm not ever playing basketball with anybody ever again because I can't do what I used to be able to do. Your physical strength diminishes. I don't care how good you are. In the same way, our spiritual strength diminishes when we are not actively waiting on God. This apparently happened to someone named Timothy, who was a, who was a pastor, and got away from waiting on God to be strengthened by him, and he became very timid. And so his mentor, Paul, in his final letter to him in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7 says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, so I know you have the Spirit of God in you, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I know you have the Holy Spirit living in you because I saw it in your grandma's faith, in your mom's faith, I've seen it in your faith. So I know the Holy Spirit is in there. And now I just need you to fan it into flame. Open yourself up for him to impart God's strength into your life. If you do not, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, this isn't relevant to you. If you have never said, I'm tired of trying to live and power my own way through life, I surrender my life to Jesus, this isn't relevant to you. But the good news is it could be relevant in about seven seconds. You could, right now, in the quiet of your own heart, have this conversation with God where you say, I want to live a life that is empowered by you for your glory and for your goodness. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for me to do that. And you will have the Holy Spirit 
And you will be able to learn to live in a way where God's power is actually working through your life. So this spiritual strength waxes and wanes in different seasons of our journey with Jesus. Um, it's important to know that when Isaiah says he gives power to the faint, he increases strength for those who have no might. If you wait for the Lord, he'll renew your strength. It's important to know that he, he's serious. The weird thing about church is often it feels like when you're listening to someone preach, it's like a spiritual platitude and you leave and it just, it, you know, you go to bishops or whatever and it never really lands that this actually affects the way that you could live today, this moment. And we hear spiritual truths and we're just kind of numb to them. This is real. God wants to give you his power and strength to live a whole different quality of life. And so as I was preparing this, I, I asked myself the question, what is it like viscerally, tangibly, when I'm not experiencing the power of God in my life? And what's the difference between that and when I am? So if, if this actually happens, this isn't just a nice verse that sounds really good that I can memorize and it, like, <clears throat> you know, I can, whatever. It's actually something that will affect the way I live. What, how does that work itself out in my life? What is it like? How do I know when it, I'm working in my own strength instead of God's strength? So I wrote a few things down. One is when I'm living in my own strength instead of God's strength, the first thing that goes is creativity. That's one of the ways it touches my life in a very real way. My thoughts get stale. My ideas lose energy. I feel like I'm in a hopeless rut. There's no momentum. There's no vitality. I'm trying to amp myself up through means other than God, you know, to, to make me feel like I've got some momentum in my life. And the, the weird thing about using human means for momentum, whether that's, you know, some type of, um, I don't know, positive thinking person or someone that just like gives you new skills so that you're excited about life or leadership training or whatever it is, is they work temporarily. And so you're, you're, you're living from hit to hit to hit to these different things that you're hoping give you strength or give you creativity. When God's Spirit is empowering you because He Himself is created, He's given us this capacity for creativity. And so when we are empowered by God's strength, our ideas are fresh. Our thoughts become different, you know, of the 20-some thousand thoughts you, you think every day, most of them are the same thoughts over and over and over. But that changes when God's Spirit is empowering you and you're, you're reading His Bible and it's bringing you to life in all sorts of different dynamic ways. But I lose creativity when I'm not empowered by God. When I am empowered by God, it's almost like an avalanche of new thoughts about him and new ideas about how to live life in a more fascinating way that just flow through me when I'm walking in step with God. It doesn't always work that way, but that's a sign. If I've been thinking the same stale thoughts over and over and doing the same stale things over and over, that it's, I'm running off my own fumes. Here's another way I can recognize when I'm working in my own strength instead of God's strength. <clears throat> When I'm relying on my own power, 
Um, my thinking is muddled and murky, fragmented, overly complex, confusing. But when God's strength is at work in me, I have clarity of vision and understanding that I never have when I'm on my own. Here's one of the ways that this looks like. That we have a grow team that we've met a couple times. We met this last week, and the grow team is um, there. It's members of our shepherd team and members of our management team that are coming together to, to one by one solve the, the challenges and the issues that are coming up with a church that's growing and a church that in some ways feels like we're running out of space. So we're, we're tackling that. We're figuring that out. We, we don't want to shut anyone out. We don't want to crowd anyone out. So this week we met and we're tackling one specific, one particular issue. And we weren't, everyone could feel, I think, that we weren't quite all on the exact same page. And someone said once that you can tell everything you need to know about a man by the way he makes decisions. And we were all just trying to figure it out. And then we just came to this place where it was evident that we needed to pray. We needed to pray. So we paused. And when you pray, you're shutting off the valve of your own strength and you're opening the valve of God's wisdom and strength to enter into that decision. And as soon as we started praying, there was like almost like just an extremely, incredibly, as each of us were praying, this clear vision that I think Chad called a roadmap. One of someone called it, maybe it was John, someone called it a roadmap to the decision that we needed to make. And I just sketched it out on one of those big giant sticky notes and we looked at it like, yeah, that's it. We all feel really good about that. If we make the decision, we do things that way, that's clear, that's good. And Chad actually said, "Why did, we could have used that at the beginning of the meeting. Jeremy, that would have been nice to see at the beginning. That would have been very helpful. But none of us would have got that vision if it wasn't for us pausing and saying, okay, our human ingenuity and clarity is going to take us only so far and a rule of thumb for me is if I'm confused about something or if it's not clear, I never make a decision. I never make a decision. It's got to be clear. It wasn't until we prayed and asked for God's wisdom, input, insight that we actually received it. Don't make decisions without running them by Jesus first. Because even if it looks perfectly right, sometimes Jesus has other ideas. Now, this is even last night we, Kara and I have been, there's somewhere we've wanted to go on vacation, haven't thought we've been able to, we might be able to this summer, and we're, instead of just making the decision right there and scheduling the, the tickets, <clears throat> we gave, we're giving God like an evening, and in my thinking it was, Let's, let's just give some space if it's not supposed to be this. I think it is. I'm 99% sure it is. Let's just give some space where we can make sure. Give God room to speak into it. And the more you cultivate a life of doing that, it's called discernment. It's called wisdom. This life wasn't meant to just throw things against the wall and see what sticks. It's meant to live in conversational apprenticeship 
with the Father through Jesus in the Spirit. Uh, and the, finally, the last thing, when I'm not living in God's strength, but living in my own strength, conversationally, when I'm talking with someone, I'm not as inquisitive, I'm not as caring, I'm not as present, I'm rushed, I'm hurried, I'm not really listening, I'm not really making eye contact, but when God is empowering me, I am fully there. So this touches our lives in very real ways. It's not just a nice verse that says God will strengthen you. It, it changes the quality of your life. The challenge for you, and here's your two fill in the blanks, is to train yourself to become acutely aware of when you are walking in your strength alone instead of God's. And then begin to notice those tiny little ways that you compromise. Begin to notice the tiny little ways that, ah, I didn't pray about that. I didn't seek God about that. Yes, we have a lot of freedom to make decisions, but it should always be in conversation with God. Train yourselves to recognize what does it look like in my life when I'm operating in my own strength instead of God's. You, you should write these things down as reminders for yourself like, okay, that's a cue for me. I'm actually living in my own strength instead of God's strength. You know, and one of the very easy things that you could do is just notice when you're not living in step with the fruit of the Spirit. So there's a list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You can look through those. One of the things is patience. These are the fruit of the Spirit is all the ways that God's personality comes out of your pores. <laughs> it's all the ways that God's personality comes out of you and it, the effect it has on other people relationally. And one of those things is patience. So maybe you begin to realize, like me, that when you're impatient, when you're wanting to hurry someone through the conversation, you are no longer operating in God's strength. You are operating in your own strength because if you were operating in God's strength, then he would give you the presence of mind and slow you down enough to, to love the person by listening to them without rushing them. People who are filled with the Spirit of God, there's a leisurely pace about them. They're not bouncing all over the place doing stuff all the time. They're interruptible. They're accessible. They don't make you feel hurried. It's a different quality. You begin to look and feel like Jesus. God invites us over and over to go to him for strength. And I've put some of these verses. You can look them up later, but I'm just going to read them really quickly. God, over and over in the Bible, he says he invites you to go to him for strength instead of trying to live in your own power. First Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Psalm 68.35, God is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Habakkuk 3.19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And don't forget today's passage. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, he gives power to the faint. 
And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One of the most heartbreaking passages in the Old Testament is in the very next chapter. It's Isaiah 41. God is talking to his people and he's almost begging them to turn to him for help. I'm going to read it for you, verses 17 through 20 of Isaiah 41. He's saying, when the poor, when the poor among you, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Listen to this. I will open up rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He's saying, are, those among, are there people among you who are thirsty? I'll fill the desert with pools of water. All you have to do is turn to me. All you have to do is look to me as your God and your provider and your shepherd and your father, and I will take care of everything. Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be taken care of. All of the Father's strength, all of the Father's love, all of the Father's provision that's available to us is available to us through Jesus. I gave you two um, resources for further reflection because this is something that you could spend some serious time on. The first is The Lord's Work and the Lord's Way. It's a, it's a sermon by Francis Schaeffer. It, you could probably find it online or you can find a little booklet. Um, I've got a little booklet, I think, from Crossway. Um, that has that and another sermon. It's really, really good. It it's talks about the dangers of trying to do ministry or any of the Lord's work, which is required of all of us, but trying to do it in our own strength instead of doing it the Lord's way. Um, and the next is, this is a fantastic sermon by John Piper. God works for those who wait for him. Um... I think I, I love Piper a ton, and he's got a lot of good things. I think he goes a little, I think him and he goes a little bit further in some of his understanding of God's sovereignty. I think because he follows John Edwards very, very closely. That's like his life model and example. And I think John Edwards is a little bit off on some of those things. But this right here, God's work for those, God works for those who wait for him, like 99% of everything else John Piper says is gold. It's gold. And I say that, by the way, I offer that critique just because I know some people in this room are sensitive to that. But if John says 99% things right, I'll, I probably say about 22% things right. So I'm in no way trying to disparage John Piper's work. He's amazing.
God Works for Those Who Wait for Him by John Piper. And I'll throw another plug in. This Wednesday, man, I made it the whole way through that sermon. I didn't even open my glasses. That's incredible that I was able to read my Bible without my glasses. Uh, I, and I almost made it through the whole sermon without having an ADHD moment. Um, so John Owen, I want to give a plug for this because this Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30, we're having an evening with John Owen. It's going to be an int- just because of the nature of what we're going to be talking about. It's an intimate gathering, which is a nice way is, of saying not a lot of people are going to be there. But because it's kind of a weird thing, it's, it's, we're reading a really old author that wrote a long time ago, and he writes some difficult stuff. We're going to be looking at some passages from Communion with the Triune God and maybe another one of his books. Um, I would encourage you, if you're open at all to learning how to read things about God that are going to stretch you beyond your normal capacity, at least for most of us, it does for me. If you're open at all to plundering this man's writings for pure gold that will be transformational in your life because they're right out of Scripture, I would encourage you at least prayerfully consider if you should come Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8.30. We have a few of you who have already signed up if you want to do that, please make a note and email me, greg at southsideworcester.com, and let me know you're planning on being there. I'm going to give you just a little tiny little taste of John Owen because he is another person. Anyone that helps you read the Bible more energetically and enthusiastically with better understanding is good to read. And he will do this. This is another way of receiving strength from God. Just listen to this. Wine that cheers the heart of man. Wine in the Bible is often um, like a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit and joy. So wine that cheers the heart of man, that makes him forget his misery, that gives him a cheerful look and countenance, is that which is promised. The grace exhibited by Christ in his ordinances is refreshing, strengthening, comforting, and full of sweetness to the souls of the saints. Woe be to such full souls as loathe these honeycombs. But thus Christ makes all his assemblies to be banqueting houses. And there he gives his saints entertainment and nourishment. And what he's saying there is when we gather on Sunday mornings, it is a feast, a banquet of sweet honeycombs from Scripture that nourish, strengthen, and transform us. Let me pray for us. Father, this life is really difficult. And I can't even begin to imagine how treacherous and painful, just hard it would be to live in the generations before you sent your Holy Spirit to earth. 
to live in the times of the Old Testament or the times between the Testament, those 400 years of what feels like, from our perspective, silence. Thank you that we live in this luxurious time where we don't have to follow you in our own strength. You've given us your spirit who gives and communicates your strength to us. Through this passage, through the the extra sermons that we can look into and study for further development in this area, through people like John Owen, through prayers together, through conversations together, through talking about scripture together and discipleship pods and community groups, use all of these things to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.